Anticipate Media proudly presents another episode of the Neat Creative Brief Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is episode 10 for March 27th, 2016. Happy Easter, by the way. Um, I think everybody around the world celebrates at the same time. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I figured I'd get one more podcast out while I had a moment um, before NAB the National Association of Broadcasters Conference, starting on April 17th. I will be there for a few days, uh, two, really, maybe three, I don't know, um, with a few of my good friends. I haven't been there in a long time to uh, touch base with my friends at Zacuto and uh, Kessler and News Shooter. Um, I may actually do a um, sit-down about the FS5, the Sony FS5, which I've been almost, almost exclusively shooting on the last... I don't know, month or whatever since the firmware 1.1 came out. Um, and, uh, of course, my buddy at uh, Filthy Look Films, Mick Jones. I can't wait to see all of you there. If you're going to be there, give me a shout-out on Twitter, and uh, I will uh, talk to you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Go Creative show with Ben Consoli. That is actually the original Neat Creative Podcast, and uh, I asked Ben to rename it and bring it in a new direction and make it his when I couldn't do it anymore because we had some great visions for it and he had the ability to get it done. And he has had some absolutely great success with that show and some great, great guests. Uh, One of the most recent episodes includes the uh, director of photography from the latest season of House of Cards, or House of Cards, as we say here in Boston. So um, I highly recommend you check it out and listen to it. I mean, I have a backlog of shows. I learn something new on that show all the time. He didn't ask me to say this. There's no agreement to promote it. It's just a fucking awesome show. So as we say, between friends having a beer. So um, by all means, check it out. Second thing I want to talk about is about Twitter. Um, I don't know if Twitter is going to last. I think the 140 character limit is very stifling, and while you can do direct messages now of uh, almost unlimited length, or practically unlimited length, the 140 character limit of for messages is tough. I find I actually get better conversations now and do more conversing with photos and videos on Instagram. Who would have thought? And I know a lot of people use Facebook, but I don't like Facebook because it's kind of... Um, I, I just don't trust them in their privacy um, settings and, and, and how... how how much they uh, allow you to hide. And there's just a lot of nastiness on Facebook. I don't know. But I am not on Facebook. I anticipate Media is not on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook anything. Are on Instagram, though, and I've been posting more and more there. And, of course, uh, that's kind of like um, an extension of this podcast. And the blog is part of this podcast. I'm not heavy into social interaction. But if I have thoughts or I have links, I send them there. Now, you'll see a lot of links posted with thanks to something called Nuzzle. Nuzzle is an app that I use that basically takes any links, URLs, photos, etc., sent by people in your Twitter feed and sets it up as a news um, like feed, kind of like Apple News has a feed or Flipboard. And that's basically where I get all my news because I find Twitter is immediate. So I don't really read Apple News and I don't really read Facebook. I read the Nuzzle feed off of Twitter. And I look at Instagram but that's not so much of a news thing. And both Instagram and Twitter now, by default, will start showing you stuff based on an algorithm of what they think you want to see and not necessarily 
in line in time and you know chronologically you can change that with uh, Twitter uh, by going and changing a setting on your account I don't think I agree with that it's tr- trying to surface stuff that you might have missed I don't know but uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on Twitter is Twitter really the big thing I've met all these people that I work with on Twitter like every single one of them uh, eventually started with Twitter all the people I hire were on Twitter I, I, I found everybody on Twitter but I'm, I'm not thinking that it's a great place to be moving forward, I don't think they'll be around in 10 years, but I think Facebook and Instagram, which is part of Facebook, will survive. Moving on, uh, quickly, the FS5 firmware version 1.11, I highly recommend you get it. It is turning into quite the capable camera. I know it's not 10 bits in 4K, but the 8 bits still hold up very well. Um, a friend of the podcast, Doug, Dave Dugdale of LearningVideo.com, who I recommended earlier, is now doing a test to see how far you can push 8 bits out of a camera like the FS5. Um, you know, we shoot 8 bits on the iPhone, and we shoot 8 bits on DSLRs, and we shoot 8 bits on the A7S and the uh, 2 and the A7R2, and we've been shooting 8 bits for a long, long time, and it is possible to get great, great, get great images out of 8 bits. I find where the 10 bits really helps you is if you're looking at skies or areas um, which used to be problems with noise with the FS5 but aren't, aren't anymore, where you can get banding. I mean, just it happens. You can get banding and there's really no way to totally get rid of it. Um, but then again, look at the C300, the C100, Mark One, and two. Those are great high-definition cameras. They're 8 bits and they look incredible and I graded them and they look great. I find the 10 bits on the FS7 and the F5, 55 and so on 422, I think, is more important. They allow you to push and pull the grade more without getting into banding when you grade. If you heavily grade the 8 bits, you will see artifacts, you'll see banding, you'll see, you know, blocky noise and so forth that you might not see on 10 bits. But if you shoot close enough to the look that you want in the camera, in other words, you properly expose your log footage and you kind of, you know, your, your white balance is close to where it needs to be. Frankly, they're both fine. I find the FS5 is noisier than the FS7, but it depends on the shots. The FS7 is definitely better in marginal light situations, low light situations, and areas with wide dynamic range if you need to push the image. But if you don't need to push the image, they're very, 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 very close. Um, The color science, uh, as we like to say, the color science, or the way the colors are presented from the images and the processors on both cameras is virtually identical. It's very close. You know, uh, similar with the F5, too. They're all very, very close. Virtually identical. I say virtually. Yeah, you have to tweak them a little bit, but they're, they're there. Use a color chart. Use film convert. Use something like that, and you'll get it 100% every time. And, um, you know, use similar lenses, and the FS5 and FS7 are indistinguishable if you're not pulling a heavy grade. If you're pulling something heavy or you want um, less noise in the image because you only only have 100 megabits in the FS5, put a recorder on there. Um, But still, I'm really surprised at how damn good it looks. For the web, it's good. The 4K is good as gold. For broadcast, you'll want to put a recorder on there. Um, For film, you know, like you're going to project in a cinema or film circuit, put a recorder on there but otherwise for most documentary work and event work it is great as is seeing great images out of that thing and i love shooting with it it's a joy and it's light and convenient and fast and while the new uh ursa mini 4.6k has finally started shipping it's still a very heavy camera and i don't like it so let's move on to the 4.6k camera so 
black magic. I love you. But you have this horrible history of, sh of shooting things far after you announced them, and then obviously with bugs. The Ursa Mini 4.6 has just started shipping almost exactly one year after it was introduced. It was introduced at NEB last year, in last April of 2015. Uh, the 4.6 model, by the way, the 4.6 custom sensor, and it is finally released. First of all, the images on it are pretty damn good. I would not so go far as to say sublime, I think against an Alexa, you know, um, they, they don't, they, they, there's something about the image. I don't know what it is. It's punchy or I don't know. I don't know. Something about it just kind of throws me off. But it's not a bad thing, though. It's not like I don't like it. I don't think it looks good. I mean, it, like subjectively looking at it, it's an incredible image. Oh, my God. It's like, oh, I guess I'm oh. it's really, really special, really, really filmic, really nice analog kind of looking image. But compared to some of the other cameras, you can kind of tell it's not an Alexa. I don't know what that means, though, because it holds up on its own. I think it's more a pleasing-looking image than the Sony cameras, all of them. Uh, but perhaps maybe Canon has a leg up. But I cannot quantify in red. But I can't quantify any of this. So just to say that it looks really, really, really nice. Really nice. Now, unfortunately, it's a year late, and they decided to take out the promised global shutter. Now, I don't think you need global shutter, but it's nice to have, and they promised it on the 4.6K, and it's now it's not there, but they're not lowering the price any. That's kind of that's kind of lame. I, I, I'm i not a, you know, Blackmagic, I'm like, well, you guys are doing really good work and bringing the prices down and making the market competitive, but you really don't seem to know how to run your business. I, I don't know if I'd rely on them for anything, but they do have good images coming out of that camera. Oh. The other thing is the uh, Ursa Mini 4.6K seems really poorly designed, Yes, it's made out of metal, but it's very heavy. Um, the XLRs are in weird, weird places. It's lacking ND filters. I mean, for Christ's sake, 2016, for the same price, or cheaper actually, with Meteor and so forth, you can get an FS5, which has a variable ND from 0 to 1, 120, 128th, and it's beautiful, and it ramps nicely, and it's uh, uh, no color cast. It's amazing. Why the fuck can't they put some NDs in that camera? I mean, give me a break. This is a cheap camera, and people are going to be running around, and they're not going to want to put a map box on it. If I want to put a map box on a camera, I'll get a better camera. So I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't like that big flip-out, huge screen. It's weird. You know, it's kind of a shitty camera build compared to, say, the FS5. The FS7 is a little bit it's closer. So I'm torn. I want to rent it, though, because, man, the images are good. They're so good. And, of course, you can work around those faults. So I'd like to know what you think about the Ursa Mini 4.6K and uh, what you're going to think about it when they announce a new camera in three weeks that usurps that but doesn't come out for another year because that's black magic. That's what they do. It's kind of an embarrassment. Um, but I don't know. The, the results on the screen may, in fact, be worth it. It does look really Really nice. Go to newsshooter.com to see some images out of that sucker. I'm sure they posted some posts. It's fantastic. So solid rental, that's for sure. And cheap. You know, $10,000 basically all in with everything. Batteries, media, you can see fast memory, everything. Um, for the FS7, by the way, Lexar 1400X cards, which are now $100 for 64 gigabytes, which will get you 30 minutes, uh, work very well. So I highly recommend them. The price is way down. But com for comparison's sake, I just bought a 256 gigabyte um, 
UHS Class 3, which is good enough for 4K, um, SD card from PNY for 65 bucks. So that's four times the storage or the same price. SD is still cheaper, so it's really good for your FS5. Atomos has announced the next generation of Shoguns and uh, Ninja Flames, I think they call them. Uh, it's the Shogun Flame, and I believe it's the Ninja Assassin Flame. Um, this is the next iteration of those uh, the Shogun, basically, which I bought and really shit on when it first came out for a lot of the problems, which they have fixed in both firmware an armor kit, and now this new device. The new, new device really doesn't add that much um, capability. It's kind of the same unit inside, records the same stuff. It does have an HDR mode, which can kind of take your log image and turn it into HDR. And Yeah, I'm not sure what the hell they're doing there. It's kind of like a fancy lot, I guess. It, it's so you can see an HDR image on the screen and see what it would look like, I guess. I guess that's nice, but it's only on set. It doesn't change the recording or anything, so I don't really understand the point. They added kind of built-in bumpers and made the body more sturdy, and it's finally as it should have been out of the box. It's kind of like you could drop it, and it's not going to fall apart on you. I'm not sure if it's made of metal or if it just has like a metal frame or the bumpers are kind of just molded into the plastic, but but it, it will. it's much, much safer on a fall. And um, better than adding the, the armor, which is kind of like a silicone case to the existing one. It's just better because it's all integrated. It's nice. The uh, screen is three times brighter, I believe. So you can see it in the bright sunlight without a sun hood. Yay. It's awesome. And it is a 10-bit screen. And I think the best thing that they've added out of all of this, the most uh, cream-tastic thing, is now has dual batteries again. They managed to fit dual battery slots on there. So you can finally get back to the continuous recording that you could on the older units, which was sorely missing on the Shogun. A price is the same as the Shogun it was released. They have a Ninja Assassin Flame, which is the same thing minus the SDI. The capabilities inside the unit are identical to the current Shogun and Ninja Assassin. They just uh, add the you know physical improvements that I just mentioned. If you're a Shogun owner right now, unless you're really concerned about it breaking and you don't have the armor on it, um, you might want to look at this, but otherwise you're not really going to gain anything from it unless you're outside all the time shooting and you hate sun hoods, then buy this. But I will not be upgrading my Shogun because it doesn't really add you know that much uh, to the game. But if you're going to buy one new, absolutely get the Shogun Flame. Here's a little random tip for you. Um, these cameras that come out now are made of magnesium, many of the magnesium bodies or aluminum bodies. And I have a few nicks um, from wear and tear and using the cameras on both my um, A7R2, which I love that thing, but I love it, and the uh, FS7 and a little bit of the FS5, magnesium sections of the bodies. So when it kind of you take a nick out of it, and what do you get? You kind of get some silver and kind of looks ugly. Well, the way to fix that is I've discovered to use some model paint. I have some matte model paint from... Uh, test stores that I purchased on Amazon for five bucks and it works perfectly. You can't even see that's a nick. So um, that's a recommended fix right there. Moving on in the random pantheon of discussionary, I uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, Isotope. Isotope makes a great set of plugins uh, called RX5 Advanced. I don't know. Their product scheme is really confusing 
but basically you can buy this unit with a standalone sound processing uh, system that has a bunch of plugins, audio plugins that you can use on the Mac. And it does an incredible job of denoising and declicking and, and enhancing dialogue and so forth. But it's expensive. It's like $300. And if you're only just kind of cleaning up noise or de-humming or, you know, de-clicking um, audio, uh, um, and there's even one to kind of like de-clip, which is really nice. You can actually de-clip audio. I don't know how they do that. It's kind of magic. But you don't want to buy the whole kit because... You know, if you're just doing documentary work or whatever, you need the basics, right? Like I do. I don't I don't need the whole kit. I'll go to a sound designer if I need all that. They released uh the RX5 like plug-in pack for a hundred dollars, I believe it was. Maybe it's hundred and thirty now, which gives you dialogue denoise, gives you de-click or de-hum, I believe, and it gives you um de-clip and maybe something else. And there it's an incredibly good plug-in, does a really good job. Highly recommend it. A hundred bucks, you get the best of the RX Five Advanced Kit uh, that you would need for your most, you know, the core stuff of dialogue and uh, and, and and noise. Very, very good. Purchase that for a hundred dollars. Also, got to give a shout out to Film Convert. They keep updating the software. They have a brand new website. It's kind of cheeky. It's kind of nice. I love it. My friends in New Zealand at Rubber Monkey Software, FilmConvert.com. I know it's kind of an analog look, but there's a couple of things. If you don't want an analog look that Film Convert's still good at, it can't. It's a three way color corrector built into that sucker. And you can also apply film grain that is contoured to the colors of your image and just shut off the kind of built in LUT, um, you know, film stocks. Um, so that's kind of nice. And it's dual GPU enhanced, just like Color Finale is. So if you have a Mac Pro, or, you know, a fast, uh, you know, Hackintosh or whatever, or an old Mac with, like, multiple video cards in there, it will kick ass, it will move fast. Moving fast means, and I screwed this up on another episode, but it means you can uh, play uh, in real time, um, uncompressed, or, like, XAVCI or even XAVCL. This is on a Mac Pro, late 2013, 8-core D700 vintage. You can play this in real time, without rendering, without transcoding, and you can add like both color finale with a LUTs and, and vectors and so forth, and you could add a film convert, and they will play in real time at 24 frames a second with the grain on it and everything. Oh, it, at, and this is Final Cut Pro 10. It will play at better quality. Okay, it's fast. This is even with XAVCL, which is a very uh, difficult codec for computers to read because it's long got 4K. This is where I'm talking 4K with everything here. Um, and it will even do that on a MacBook Pro uh, at better, better performance. So better quality, which you lose nothing in the image, 4K, multiple screens going, multiple plugins going, dual GPUs, cranking, both plugins use it. Very nice. Highly recommended. Also, XAVCL is much, much more smooth on the Mac in Final Cut Pro 10. Final Cut Pro X, than it is uh, in Premiere. I don't know why, but uh, I don't really use Premiere anymore. It's a great program. I love it, but I don't use it anymore because the Final Cut Pro 10, after all these years, really grew up and it's doing well. And Apple continues to develop it. Um, kind of bug fixes and little add-ons right now, but it is still in the works. And uh, it's a great program. I mean, people are cutting feature films with it now. Uh, one of the most recent feature films cut with it was called uh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot with um, 
Oh, God. Liz Lemon from uh, 20 Rock. What's her name? She's in it. Funny movie. I haven't seen it yet. Focus was another recent uh, movie uh, with Will Smith that was filmed in it. Um, both um, films uh, with the same editing crew, and Margot Robbie is in both of them, I believe, which is interesting crossover. But um, filmed with, um, edited with Final Cut Pro 10, and there are tools out there that let you do this fairly easily. So this is a really, it's a high-quality program. It's refined. It continues to be updated. It continues to be updated. El Capitan, it's updated for El Capitan. Um, I highly recommend it. The only problem I have, Apple, are you listening, my friends in Cupertino, is if you are using, and this could be a film convert thing, but if you're using a plugin to control anything on on the image, um, like Flight Slice X or you know the, the mandatory plugins you want to have in Final Cut Pro 10. And if you want to learn what those are, go to RippleTraining.com, and they have Mac Mac Break Weekly, I think, or Mac Break Studio, and they talk about all this in one of the episodes, and it's free to listen to and watch. Highly recommended, like mandatory plugins you want for Final Cut. Um, SliceX is one I use to kind of blur out stuff on the on the run and 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 kind of track people's uh, color corrections. It's great. Um, but um, one of the issues I have is when I'm on a second screen. So I got a I got a 5K main screen, I got a 4K playout screen, and I got a HD screen on the side, just to kind of look at what it looks like at HD. So like for working, just scratch video, I I play stuff out on HD, and I do my edits and changes and color corrections there if I'm not going into uh, Resolve, which frankly I don't use that much because I haven't learned it yet. I'll be honest. I'll get to it eventually. I know it's awesome, but round trips of Final Cut Pro 10 and everything. But I digress. Anytime I start making changes on that second screen, when the interface is on the second screen, I get a lot of crashes in Final Cut Pro 10. It's not a lot, and it's not a ru- I say it's a lot, but it's a lot more than it should be, which is zero. Uh, it doesn't really ruin my work or anything. I can boot back up; it's no problem. Everything's uh, SSD and and powerful RAID, and it just boom, it happens um, right where it left off. But it seems to be a pattern in that. I don't know what it is. Uh, it could be my computer. I'm not sure. Let's talk about computer upgrades. We're due for some upgrades this year, Mac folks. Um, there will be new final. There will be new Skylake-based um, um, thinner MacBook Pros. I don't think you can get much out of those, as far as except for maybe better internal GPU uh, for video editing. Um, Mac, the Mac Pro late 2013 is long in the tooth now, but you got to understand that CPU technology has not improved that much since it came out. The Xeon, like Skylake-based Xeons uh, that are just coming out now, are not that much faster, except for in one critical place. A hardware H.264 encoder called QuickSync, which was introduced on the Xeon chips after this version, which is based on Sandy Lake. I think it's Sandy Lake, Ivy Lake maybe, and on up, and the Halem, not the Halem. Oh my God. Um, the next one, and the, uh, which... Uh, Jesus Christ, I'm drawing a blank, but whatever that was. And then there was Broadwell and now um, um, Skylake. They all have this thing called QuickSync, which will do a, a one-pass H.264 uh, encoding extremely quickly. Um, and do, multi-pass, it doesn't help any, and your Mac Pro is going to be faster than most of these other machines. But in single-pass, my Mac Mini is faster. So... That's kind of annoying, and uh, that will be fixed in the next Mac Pro. Another thing you're going to see is the dual D700 cards with 12 gigabytes of RAM. Those are great, and that's about uh, 7 teraflops of power. 
But now they have single chips that do seven teraflops of power. So you can imagine a dual, uh, double speed increase on the um, cards, like two times. What would that help you with? Well, we've already talked about 4K is fast. I mean, you can put multiple uh, dual GPU enabled, dual GPU enabled um, uh, plugins on live in Final Cut Pro 10 or, or render out and it's super fast, right? It's real time. But if you have a twice as fast card, you can do one of two things. You can put four clips on with, uh, you know, with filters in real time without encoding and it will run just fine. Or you could put you know, four effects and it will run in real time. Or you could edit 8K footage at the same speed as you can edit 4K footage today. Now, we're never ever going to deliver an 8K for as long as, you know, conceivably possible. Most people can't even see the difference in 4K in their house. I can barely see it on a 65-inch screen sitting eight feet away. And I mean barely. Um, the upscaling on modern sets, I have a cheap Vizio Ultra HD 65-inch uh, set that we put in at the beginning of the year. It's 4K Ultra HD. Um, we sit about eight feet away from it, and it upscales incredibly well. HD footage, like good quality, crispy HD footage, look, looks like 4K, even with glasses on, even if you're like staring at it. It smooths out the text, so it kind of, it's 4K looking, even when you're close up. You really can't tell the difference at all until it, you're, you know, you're actually side by side to a 4K source. So, wow, I mean, it's really close. Go to 8K, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see the benefit. But where 8K will come into play is as 4K is to HD today, you will be able to crop in and so forth, and master out in 4K, which is going to become pretty much a standard delivery platform, I think, in five years for everybody, um, five to ten, uh, despite the fact that you really can't see it. Um, you can master in 4K, and you can cut down the 8K image to 4K, or you can sample it down, and you don't lose any color information because you're going 8K to 4K, so your Bayer sensor isn't losing you anything. It's just another slight improvement. So uh, I would anticipate seeing more 8K and 6K sourcing, uh, for acquisition, but uh, you don't really need it. <laughs> I mean, 4K is already like way above and beyond the pale. Let's talk about HDR for a minute. That's going to become a big thing. Um, and Rec 2020 color space. Now, you can shoot Rec 2020 color space today. Um, and HDR, high dynamic range, uh, your you know, set only shows like six stops or whatever, and they might go to 10 stops. Well, your cameras already shoot 14 and 15, so that's not a problem. So really, the cameras of today can indeed record that quality. They just record, uh, if you want to get that full quality, you'll have to record to a lossless codec or RAW or like a very high-end codec or like ProRes or uh, XAVCI at a very high bit rate to get something that will eventually work for broadcast HDR um, Rec 2020 color. Uh, the color space Rec 2020 is very large, but S Gamut, and not S Gamut Cine, by the way, but S Gamut from Sony does fit that color space within it. S Gamut is bigger than Rec 2020. So if you record S Gamut, your source footage today has all the colors that's needed for Rec 2020, has all the dynamic range that's needed if you're recording log for uh, HDR sets. So basically, it comes down to a software thing. Well, how can I translate that into an HDR-ready result? So your acquisition stuff is all set if you have any kind of modern camera from the last like two to three years. 
Um, basically, if you buy a 4K camera today that is the quality of like an FS7 or higher, um, you're good to go until the thing burns out unless someone in your client start asking for 8K. It's really, you're just, you're good to go. You don't have to buy anything else. Put your shit in your pocket. Uh, your money, that is. Um, not your shit. That would be embarrassing. Um, it's just, you know, there's limits here. What you'll get is maybe a nicer image, maybe a nicer roll-off, maybe a better color science, but really we're kind of like at the peak of cameras, I think, and it's going to come down to ergonomics and workflow and, uh, you know, features to help the shooter shoot better and, uh, you know, just kind of like, uh, I think, incremental improvements and not these big changes we've had over the last few years. DJI has introduced a couple new things recently, and this will be the last thing I talk about before the closeout, the NAB closeout. I want to meet you there if you're not crazy. Um, DJI has released the Phantom 4 drone. With much fanfare, the Phantom 4 looks like an incredible camera that, like, you know, everybody wants to get their hand on. Um, it's, well, it's a camera in the sky, but it's a drone. The Phantom 4 is a, is a slightly enhanced Phantom 3, the camera of pro professional, but it's much more expensive. Um, it has a camera that's slightly nicer, but not really nicer side by side. You can't tell the difference to the Phantom 3, so it's like GoPro 4 quality. It has a sport mode, which lets you fly it as fast as the Inspire, but uh, not in GPS mode. The Inspire is faster there. Um, and it has a tracking of subjects on the ground, so you can kind of track someone pretty well as they run around and, or bike or whatever. That's nice. You can tap on the screen and tell it to fly somewhere in your vision. And it has object sense and avoid. So except for anything but the finest power lines or finest uh, un unleaf colored you know, tree branches, it will stop and go around them or just hover. It will not hit them. Wow, right? Holy shit. This is the holy grail, right? It can only do this if the object is in front of it or below it. And there's a certain degree limitation there. It's not like panoramic or anything. I think it's 50 degrees. Once uh, it's out of that cone, uh, you're shit out of luck. So if you try to fly black backwards, boom, you'll crash. If you try to side fly sideways, boom, you'll crash. It does not see these kinds of things. Now, in practicality, because the image is uh, panned by panning the craft itself, it's not like an Inspire where you can rotate the camera every which way. Um, you're generally going to fly in the direction of what you want to shoot at. Um, so if you're just doing basic shots and like, you know, going around in circles and so forth and, you know, you could see where you're going, uh, it won't crash into anything. But even if you're doing orbits around a point of interest, it will not see to the sides. So to pay like three or four hundred more dollars or whatever for a glorified Phantom 3 that will only protect itself when it's going forward, I think that's an absolute waste of money but a good sign of the future. It's like one of these things where if you don't have one, get that one. Like if you don't have a Phantom 3, get the Phantom 4 because it will provide you some modicum of safety. Most specifically and most importantly, when the thing flies home by itself after an emergency, it does, does return to home and you can't see it and it's gone away and it's disappeared and it's coming home to you. If you haven't set that height perfectly to not hit anything, it will crash. But the Phantom 4 will not crash. It will stop and go around it. That's a big fucking deal. And I look forward to that being in the Inspire next version, uh, Inspire 2. And it will be. 
But um, other than that, uh, you know, for actual use, you still have to watch this thing. I think the FAA's rule of visual sight makes sense because you need to see what's around the thing. You really can't see everything around it. It's not a 3 360 degree camera on it. And it's the same quality image as before. So if you don't have one, buy that one. But, you know, if you can afford it, if you're going to buy a Phantom 3 Pro, buy the Phantom 4 because it's a better model. But uh, it's not worth upgrading and definitely not worth downgrading from the Inspire one because it doesn't look any better at all. And it's still not foolproof. You do need to know how to fly, folks. Uh, simultaneous with that, or nearly simultaneous with that, the uh, Zenmuse X5R was released. This is the X5 interchangeable lens uh, for Micro Four Thirds camera that I have for the Inspire with an added RAW module that will take every frame and put it down as a cinema DNG file, uh, lightly compressed. I think it's like 500 megabytes a second or a gigabyte a second. It's, it's something crazy. It comes with a 512 gigabyte custom high-speed SSD card uh, in it that you, know, you can take out, and uh, that will record um, 30 minutes of footage at 4K. Uh, you throw it into a program called Cinemagic, I think, or Cinelite from DJI, which will export those files into something you can use, uh, like ProRes or something, and uh, that's the only way you can get the footage off. You can't even see the card without that app. Otherwise, it's the same thing. Um, the X5 camera is great. Uh, I think it's, it does a wonderful job, but it is recording at a very limited 60 megabits, 420, 8-bit, and uh, that's, it's, you know, that's limiting. Uh, when you look at still images from that thing, you're like, wow, that's fantastic because they're, they're raw. But the images coming out of the video are very heavily compressed. So your advantage is in controllable depth of field, better low-light performance, of course, any lens you want to put on there, and um, dynamic range. But noise and detail is the same as the X3, if not worse, because, um, you know, they they just can't can only record so much. So it's it's very limited. It's 60 megabits a second. It's just not enough. It should be 100 minimum. But the X5R, which I believe is $3,500 with the lens and $3,100 without, including the SSD, including the SSD, gets around that because it records every every single frame as a cinema DNG file. And um, I recommend, and I'll put it in the show notes, uh, one of the first videos released called um, The West in Winter, filmed by Ian Cresswell with the X5R, and uh, it's a stunner. I mean, it's just, it's, it grades really well. There's no banding or any kind of weird image issues. You can download the file and look at it uh, in full 4K glory. It's ultra sharp. I mean, it's really, really nice. Now, is the average person going to notice the difference when you use drone footage in your shots because the, the perspective really catches people? Are they really going to notice that much? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, So I wouldn't jump up and buy it if you have the X5. But uh, if you're starting from scratch, absolutely, I would get the X5R because it's going to provide you some incredible footage. And every frame is an 8-megapixel picture. A raw 8-megapixel picture. That's exciting. That's a really nice platform. Um, the X5 has had a lot of teething problems. They keep changing the firmware. Sometimes it's sharp. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it flickers. Another firmware it doesn't. Sometimes it's noisy after ISO 800. Sometimes it doesn't. Looks like ISO 200 is native, but they don't make that clear, and on and on and on. It's kind of fucked up. DJI is really fucked up. They can't seem to do anything right the first time out of the gate or the second or the third. But it does look really nice, and you can see one of my videos out there for that. Um, 
NAB is coming up. I will be there um, out and about. I may do a presentation with New Shooter about the uh, Sony FS5. I've done a lot of slow motion shooting with the FS5, and while the quality isn't quite up there with the um, FS7, it is close enough. Um, with the firmware update, um, really a lot of the blockiness is gone out of the noise. Um, it, it, there's some aliasing, but it does quite a good job. Um, I would recommend using FS7, but the FS5 at uh, 240 frames per second is certainly usable. Um, check it out. There's um, the March of the Snow, uh, which is just like snow falling. There's nothing special to it, but you can see kind of the quality of the images you can get from snow falling and you know throwing snow, and it's kind of fun. It's really basic, nothing, nothing amazing, amazing, but and um, also. Um, there's another video out there called Field of Dreams with my son just kind of uh, swinging um, to give you a, you know, a different look of different colors, and, and, and it really looks nice. I, I, I enjoy it. So I hope to see you guys at NAB. If you're there, just Twitter me, and I'll be very, very busy. I'm only there for a few days, and we'll be involved in much debauchery, but you know, if I have the time to see you, I have the time to see you. Um, finally, um, I kind of want to give a shout-out to the guys at Fitness and Post for the concept. But I'm really against their whole marketing of Shakeology and like diet systems and all this nonsense. Um, I have been on a uh, fitness journey for the last year to get back to my old fighting self and then some, and I have accomplished that. And now I'm going into, you know, Spartan race preparing training territory. I've lost uh, well over 100 pounds um, and uh, have bulked up and now I'm kind of a fitness junkie. But it is a um, mindset for me, and I still have you know more to go. I can always get better, stronger, faster. I want to get, kind of kind of get down to that fifteen to ten percent fat range, and it's very hard to do if you're editing all day. Very sedentary job, very difficult. The people at Fitness and Post have um, have put a great website together to get people in our industry fit who normally would just be sitting on their ass. Now, if you're a camera person or you're on crew, uh, you, you'll be moving around, but uh, your camera operator or whatnot. But if you're not, people that deal in the post uh, production industry can get really fat really easy. I certainly did. And uh, I lost it all. So, how did I do that? Um, I moved and I ate less. That's simple. Math, that's all it was. I made a lifestyle change and I decided I'm going to live fit and healthy. I'm going to eat whole foods. I'm going to eat vegetables. I'm going to eat salads. I'm going to eat on small plates and control my portion sizes. I'm going to work out. I work out two hours a day, six days a week. I uh, just, it's a new life. You don't need Shakeology. You don't need Weight Watchers. You don't need any program. You don't need to get yourself cut open. Um, you can do it and just by making a, a mental shift and, and, and adjusting how you look at food, your relationship with food and your relationship with movement. So, um, I like to talk more about fitness. I, I was thinking maybe I'm putting a separate site up about it, but uh, I'm not quite at that stage yet. I want to kind of be like super fit. So, um, I'm just fit. I think I'm actually very fit, but I want to get to that next level. So. How do you guys handle not getting fat if you're sitting in post-production all day long or, or a desk job or whatever? I'm very curious to hear your comments. But uh, if anybody asks, how did you do it? Get off your ass 
move and eat less. Uh, I got the Apple Watch uh, in April a year ago, put it on, started changing my life. That thing tracked every step, every movement, every climb, every hour, every weight lift. Um, and I will talk more about that journey as time goes on, but since this is a creative show, um, I won't delve too much into it. That's enough. 40 minutes for a neat creative brief. That's plenty. We covered the um, FS5 firmware update. We covered uh, fitness. We covered the X5R, the Phantom 4, NAB, probably a bunch of other shit I don't remember. So uh, thank you for listening. Please do me a favor. I have no idea if you care about this podcast or not. I'm not going to keep doing it if nobody listens. Now, it looks like hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe thousands are listening. But I don't have a clear uh, idea. Could you please leave a, a, a review on, on iTunes? Give us uh, five stars. Give us four stars. Give us one star. If you hate my guts, I don't give a shit. But please leave something uh, if you want the show to go on. Uh, the more ratings I get, the more often I'll be interested in talking to you. Um, that's it. You guys have a great time, and uh, maybe I'll see you in Vegas. If you do, you're buying the first round. Peace.